Welcome to Don't Look Now, the podcast with your hosts, Jenny McDonald and Will Hegeman, coming to you this Tuesday with our stories of the historical, weird, random, <laughs> as I said, cats, coffee. I haven't done cactuses yet, but maybe that'll happen someday. Who knows? Um, as always, I have no idea what our topic is. You probably do because you've seen an episode description. <laughs> but uh, Jenny has... Uh, done some research on something of which I do not know and uh, is about to give me some hints so I can see if I can figure this out and if I actually know anything at all about it. So uh, take it away, Jenny. What 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 are we talking about? You're going to be shocked, but it's something from the spiritualist movement and I didn't realize until I was halfway through it and I feel bad now. Feel bad for spiritualist movement? I feel like I get caught on these like trains of thought and I cannot get off of them. And this one has been like three weeks in a row where I was like, I need to do this episode. This is the one. It's all good. I'm pretty sure anybody that has listened to our podcast for a few years knows that the spiritualist movement (laughs) fuels several things that we've talked about because it's interesting and they. Oh, yeah. And the pseudoscience stuff is super fascinating because this was so well believed, right? Like, I mean, you got. You got all the great things of weird pseudoscience. You got whole Victorian age stuff. You've got supernatural stuff. You got you got just a little bit of everything. A little bit of culty stuff. It's it's just all it's all there with your big cultural movement. So you know. Well, this sometimes. combines all of the things uh, <laughs> that you just stated because nice. it's basically like. Anything that was a characteristic belief of New Age movement kind of started with one person. All right. Well, this one person is known for being somewhat of a prophet. Okay. Not like Mother Shipton prophet, but more like weirdly prophet. Because it wasn't <laughs> it wasn't like telling things that were going to happen in the future. Sometimes it was like past life. Sometimes it was nutrition, um <laughs> reincarnation, afterlife. Just a lot. Hmm. I don't know. Um, yeah, I don't I don't know my founders of the movement sort of thing, but so my random guess will be what patience worth. The no. uh, the one person who, you know, had the the ongoing semi possession that led them to like talk about how their past lives and whatever. No, but a fascinating one. All right. This person also talks about Atlantis. Ah, person with Atlantis and all this, man, I don't, I don't know. You got to watch more Unsolved Mysteries, Will. (laughs) So today we're going to talk about Edgar Cayce. Edgar Cayce. Okay. That name sounds familiar, but I don't really know it. Edgar Cayce is an American clairvoyant who speaks from a trance state about all sorts of things. Um, Okay. And this was highly recorded and books and research centers were devoted to him and, you know, unsolved mysteries episodes. Let's get into it. <laughs> so he was born March 18th of 1877 in um, Christian County, Kentucky to 
you know, parents that are farmers and they have six kiddos. As a child, he reportedly saw the ghost of his deceased grandfather, and he was confident it was a ghost because it became transparent if he looked hard enough. Now, this is from a period of time where there's a lot of written records, so his life is fairly well documented. He was brought to church at the age of 10 and became engrossed in the Bible. Over the next couple of years, he read it from cover to cover over a dozen times, which is quite the feat for a young person. Yeah. And at one point while he's reading the Bible and his hut in the woods, he says he encountered a woman with wings who told him his prayers had been answered. She asked him what he wanted most. And he told a biographer that he was frightened, but the woman, he looked at her and he said, I want to help other people, especially children. And so he decided he would be a missionary. All right. Sounds Sounds good. good. Sounds like a logical progression. He saw an angel in the woods and decided to become a missionary. Fair. So the next night, um, he had gotten in trouble in school the day before that day. Uh, he had a really hard time focusing on his lessons. So his father was trying to test him on spelling only like this was during the period of time where like corporal punishment was kind of a thing. So yeah. his dad knocked him out of his chair while they were working on it. Jeez. And he says that he could hear the woman with the wings tell him that if he went to sleep, that she would help him or they would help him. Yeah. So he laid his head on his spelling book and fell asleep. When his father comes back to the room and wakes him up, he suddenly knew all the answers and repeated anything that was in that book. Just osmosis style, right? Yeah. He said his father thought he'd been fooling him before and knocked him out of his chair again. <laughs> and then, like a great dad. <laughs> yes, super solid, not taking any shit from his kids, right? Um, he said that he then studied all his school books this way. He would just lay his head on it and then he just knew what was in it. So by 1892, instead of being the worst student in class, he's now the best student in class. Um, And when he was asked what had changed, he told the teacher that he saw the pictures of the pages in the books. And his dad, of course, at this point, doesn't care because his kid is number one. Like, no longer do I care, sir. During a school game, he was um, injured. His coccyx was struck pretty hard. And after that, he begins to act kind of strangely. So while he was asleep at night, um, he decided that he would diagnose his own condition and come up with a cure. So he wakes up and he tells his family who's on board with this shenanigan. They're like, obviously, this child had a dream um, and he knows how to fix himself. So we're going to do it. And it does. Hmm. Um, But he never he didn't recover that ability to diagnose things in his sleep for several years Hmm. so he obviously didn't have any major conditions that caused issues in december of 1893 the family moves to hopkinsville kentucky where they live um for quite a while he receives an eighth grade education and he noticed that his clairvoyance um was you know getting a little bit stronger so he leaves the family farm to look for employment so the part of the reason why he doesn't continue his education is of course cost. There's a bunch of the kids and it's too expensive to move on. A ninth grade education is pretty sufficient for working class children in this age range or this age. Yeah. Um, and so a lot of his younger years were characterized by looking for employment. By the time that he is a little bit older, he gets engaged to a woman by the name of Gertrude Evans And throughout his whole life, he's been on and off, like, drawn into church. 
So he reads the Bible once a year. He goes to church on Sundays. He teaches Sunday school and he recruits for missions. He, though, says that he can see auras around people, he speaks to angels, and he can hear the voice of departed relatives. And in his early years, he didn't know if these were spiritually delivered, if it was evil, what it meant. It just happened. So in 1900, he forms a business partnership with his father to sell Woodman of the World Insurance. I would like to know how easy it was to start an insurance company in 1900. (laughs) What, what is that I'm sure mean? it was interesting. Right? Woodman but of the world, huh? Woodman of the world. In March of that year, however, he develops severe laryngitis, which results in him being completely unable to speak. So he's unable to live from home and, or, sorry, he's unable to work. So he has to live at home with his parents. I want to know where his wife was during this period of time. But also, what kind of laryngitis did you get? You can't talk for a year, my man. <laughs> That's a... Uh... That's a hefty case of laryngitis for sure. Right. It's a little weird. So apparently he just like wakes up one day and decides to take up photography like you do. Um, I feel like this is a normal hobby that everyone should pick up at some point in their life. So I'm not judging him on that. But I love that he's like, I'm not only going to pick this up as a hobby, but this is my new occupation because it's that easy. Right. Yeah. Especially at that time. Right. And he decides that um, photography would strain his voice less. So it'd be really easy to do. Right. So he begins an apprenticeship at the studio of W.R. Bowles in Hopkinsville and actually becomes pretty good at it. And then he meets a traveling stage hypnotist and entertainer uh, named Hart, who calls himself the Laugh Man. Hart had heard about Casey's throat condition and offered to attempt a cure. And of course, he's like, oh, OK, I can't talk. So that that would be lovely. So they do an experiment in the office of the local throat specialist. And during a hypnotic trance, his voice returned, but disappeared when he's awakened. So they had tried this um, post-hypnotic suggestion that the voice would continue to function after the trance, but did not work. And since he had appointments in other cities, he couldn't do a bunch of treatments to attempt to make this better. So he said that he failed because Casey couldn't enter the third stage of hypnosis and accept a suggestion. So then he went to a different hypnotist, John Duckin Quackenbose. That's a name. Quackenbose. <laughs> Doesn't sound at all suspicious. Right. Um, and he found that he also could not get uh, Edgar Casey into the third stage of hypnosis. He would just kind of get stuck in that second stage. So he suggested to Casey, try to take on your own case um, in the second stage of hypnosis. You try it. Hmm. And then he went to a third hypnotist. um, And this one also offered to help him. So when the third hypnotist, Al Lang, put him into a trance, Casey's able to communicate pretty vocally. And Casey told Lane to give him a suggestion to increase blood circulation to his throat. So he gives him the suggestion. And the throat reportedly turned bright red. And after 20 minutes... Casey says in a trance, it's over. Upon awakening, his voice had remained normal. (laughs) There were some relapses, but um, they were eventually completely corrected and he was permanently healed. That is, that is strange. It was a real psychosomatic sounding laryngitis. Yeah, that's exactly what I was about to say is that sounds like the, the definition of a psychosomatic issue, but I don't know the true definition, but it feels like it. Yeah. It feels like my definition of it. Yeah. (laughs) 
so this Al, Al Lane is super interested in how he was able to diagnose his own condition and solve it, just needing the directions from someone else. So he started asking Casey to describe ailments and, and suggest cures. And eventually they found most of the results to be accurate and pretty effective. Lane considers this clairvoyance and suggested that he offers psychic diagnostic services to the public. Let's make a buck on it, man. And Casey was like, I don't really want to do that. I don't know what I'm doing while I'm asleep. I don't know if it's safe. I don't know anything about the patient. It it just seems weird. Um, the only reason he would agree to do it is if it would be free. Um, and he specified that if ever any of the readings hurt anyone, he would never do another one. Like it was a one and done situation, right. which feels pretty genuine, right? So with uh, Lane's help, they offer free treatments to the townspeople. Lane describes Casey's method as a self-imposed hypnotic trace trance with um, which induces clairvoyance. And eventually this becomes really popular and people start to talk about it as many of these spiritual movements, right? So the work appears in the newspaper and there's a bunch of like letters he receives with inquiry and he could work as effectively with a letter from an individual as he could with the person in the room, which is really convenient, right? They, people don't have to travel. It's super nice. As long as he was given the person's name and location, he claimed he could diagnose the physical and mental conditions, which he called the entity, and provide a remedy. He was still pretty reticent and worried because one dead patient was all he needed to be considered a murderer, so he just yeah. didn't like it. <laughs> yeah. And his fiance, who he's still just a fiance to, she never became a wife yet. I'm not upset. <laughs> I'm not happy about this. Uh, she knew what was going on and she agreed that, you know, like, please be careful with this. We don't want people to die and for you to go to jail. And a few people knew what he was doing. Um, and at this point, a lot of people who underwent hypnosis were commonly believed to be pretty susceptible to insanity or for poor physical health. So I think that's like, a bad pool because most people that have mental health issues or physical health issues are going to do anything they can for relief, yeah. but mm -hmm. it's a cute sample. So in May of 1902, he gets a job in a bookshop in Bowling Green, Kentucky. Here he boards with several professionals, two of whom are doctors. He loses his voice again. Um, and Al Lane comes to help with the normal cure, finally visiting him every week. But he's worried. So he keeps the meeting secret and continues to refuse money for his other readings. And at this point, he invents a um, a card game, which simulates wheat market training called Pit or Board of Trade. Hmm. And the game becomes so popular that he decides he's going to send it to Parker Brothers. Um, and Parker Brothers does copyright the game, but they send no royalties. <laughs> and he's still not receiving money for helping cure people, which sucks. So eventually he and Gertrude get married in 1903. My girl stayed with this man for a real long time. This is a long engagement. Like yeah. they got engaged in 1897 and it took until 1903. So long. Good for you, sister. <laughs> they have three kiddos. She's not super approving of the readings and he is agonizing over the morality of them. Al Lane reveals the activity to the professionals at the boarding house, one of who's also a magistrate and journalist, um, and the state medical authorities force them to close their practice. So he leaves to acquire osteopathic qualifications in Franklin. And at this point, 
Casey and Gertrude accept the resulting publicity as best as they can. And they're aided by, you know, young doctors that they're friends with and just do what they can. And then because he hasn't had enough jobs yet, Casey and a relative open a photographic studio in Bowling Green. While the doctors form a committee with colleagues to investigate his um, skills at diagnoses. They do experiments to confirm the accuracy of the readings, but he refuses any lucrative offers to go into business. He's like, I really don't want to do this. And during one of his trances, one of the doctors is particularly like atrocious. Mm -hmm. Um, So he refuses to do any more investigations. He says he's only going to do readings for people who need help and believe in them, which I think is the right way to go. So in 1906 and then again in 1907, his two photographic studios he owns burn down and bankrupt him. And in between these two fires, he has another kiddo born. So he's starting to get a little stressed. But somehow he becomes debt free by 1909 and is ready to start again. Hmm. That's a very short period of time to be debt free, but. In 1907, diagnostic successes in his family developed his skills and his confidence. He once again refuses an offer to go into business with a homeopath by the name of Wesley Ketchum in Hopkinsville and found a job instead at a photograph photography firm. Now, Ketchum is pretty persistent and spreads information in medical service circles and um, eventually into a newspaper story. When a reporter contacts Casey, he said somehow the ability to go easily into intuitive sleep when he wanted to was different than normal sleep. And when they ask about the mechanism of the readings via the sleep method, he said it just happens through this subconscious part of his mind. Mm -hmm. So again, he's asked to join a company. And after a night, he's like, fine, I'll do it. But under certain conditions, I'm not taking money. And I just need things to be the way I want them to be. So he's reading, he read the back readings, um, but they contain so many technical terms, he can't understand what he's doing. He prefers to put the readings on a scientific basis, um, but only doctors in the area would cooperate and most of the patients weren't there. And they needed a lot of doctors from a lot of specialties and they just didn't have it um, because the prescribed treatments were pretty wild, right? (laughs) So they don't really give a priority to the readings he and his wife. Um, And eventually Gertrude becomes ill with tuberculosis. They use the readings after the doctor had given up in treatment. They gave, they switched to readings because the treatment the doctor was giving her was failing. And he basically was like, there's nothing that I can do for her. So they do a reading and the treatment that he prescribes for her cures her. Hmm. So Casey discovered that Ketchum had not been honest with him and he had been gambling away all of their money. And he says in his defense that the medical profession doesn't back them. So he had to try to keep the money however he could. So Casey quits and goes back to photography this time in Selma, Alabama. So his work increases. Um, He's, you know, popular, not because he's a photographer, but because he's a spiritualist. (laughs) So he starts to ask for donations to to support himself and his family so he could practice full time. He continues to work in an apparent trance state with a hypnotist all his life. And his wife and his eldest son uh, replaced Lane in this role over time. And he gets to be so proficient at this that they hire a secretary by the name of Gladys Davies to transcribe his readings in shorthand. He becomes extremely popular. Um... He's persuaded to give readings 
He doesn't really love to do this, but he does it. So an example is a cotton merchant offers him $100 a day for reading about the cotton market. <laughs> but Casey's like, I'm not going to do that. That's not something I want to do, even though I'm poor. That's like not the thing I'm going to do, right? He also had people that came to him to look for treasure or to know the outcome of horse races. He was adamant against gambling. Eventually, Art Lamers, who is a printer and student of metaphysics, persuades him to give readings on philosophical subjects. And he told Casey that in his trance state, he spoke about Lamers' past lives and reincarnation. Lamers believes this. And reincarnation is a super like hot topic during this period of time. Um, but it's not really part of the Christian doctrine. So Casey questioned his stenographer about what he said and was like, yeah, I don't believe this. This is not, this doesn't follow with what I believe. Mm -hmm. um, so he challenged a lot of that. So that's fascinating. So um, he doesn't fully believe though, that what he was talking about was reincarnation. There's like a whole conversation that happens where they're asking questions and he just kind of confirms things, but he doesn't believe that that's a sign of reincarnation. It was one of those things that they kind of argued about. Eventually, Lammers asked Case to come to Dayton, Ohio to pursue metaphysical truth via the readings. And he reluctantly agrees. His wife's like, should you though? <laughs> I love, this lady must've been amazing, by the way. <laughs> um. So he produces a considerable amount of metaphysical information in Dayton, and he tries to reconcile it with Christianity and kind of suffers with that. But um, it didn't seem to bother Casey much because he felt pretty at home with the language of metaphysics and with the language of anatomy and medicine. Lamers wanted to determine the purpose of the clairvoyant readings and wanted to put up money to support his healing methods. And Casey was like, okay, let's see what happens and sends for the family. Um, but by the time the family arrives, like money had run out, you know, two days later, probably because yeah. I don't feel like money lasted long. Still doesn't. So Casey was really looking at these readings um, around health. So a lot of times they involve things like electrotherapy, ultraviolet light, a lot of diet, massage, less mental work, more relaxation. Um, and eventually they get noticed by the American Medical Association, which is pretty much. Um, and Casey felt that it was time to legitimize his operations. So he starts to contact local like medical practitioners. And at this point, he believes in one of his trances that he's been told that he needs to move to Virginia Beach in Virginia. As you do, I guess. <laughs> Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I've never been to Virginia Beach. Maybe it's lovely. So during this period of time, um, he creates institutions uh, that kind of survive him. Uh, and he's considered a professional psychic and has a small staff of employees and volunteers. And his readings start to become pretty occultic and esoteric in theme. However, money's still short. So... <laughs> Making these institutions when you don't have a lot of money is difficult. Um, but money does start to arrive from benefactors. The idea of an association and a hospital was considered, but the readings insisted on Virginia Beach, which didn't really help with that. And then Gertrude starts to conduct the readings where she's the hypnotist and asks the questions. So there's a lot of interest at this point. They build the Association of National Investigations and study the reading scientifically. And 
they meet a gentleman by the name of Morton Bloom, who has the financing to help do this. He's the president of the association and his brother and several others are vice presidents. Casey's a secretary and his wife is an assistant secretary. To, pro- to protect themselves against prosecution, anybody requesting a reading was required to join and agree that they were participating in an experimental psychic research, which okay. <laughs> just fucking brilliant, really. And eventually, the head of the psychology department in Washington and Lee University becomes convinced of their validity and joins the association. So <laughs> this is kind of one of those things that's like, just really fascinating that he was able to pull all these people in and they all totally believe in the cause. Right. Yeah. So there were a lot of uh, remedies for illnesses regarding, regardless of who the patient is. And he creates a whole list of things that you can do to cure various ailments. Um, And most of the time, the reason for the cure was just the needed to the assimilation of needed properties in the digestive system from food taken in the body. So like a lot of it he thought was food that people were eating. And then, you know, there was a lot of, a lot of the remedies included things like salt packs, poultices, hot compresses, vibration, massage, osteopathy, dental, colonics. This is where <laughs> like the new worldy stuff starts to really take yeah. hold. And things like essential oils and mud baths start to get prescribed. So these were all designed, though, to help you get better nutrient absorption. And there's an eight, like, months-long waiting list to get in. So it's super popular, and it seems to be working. And then the depression hits. So he closed down the association at the end of 1931 and takes his files and goes home. At this time, the depression's going, you know, coming through. So he turns his attention to spiritual teachings and he kind of creates these study groups where he goes into a trance and then relays to the group that the purpose of life is not to become psychic, but to become more spiritually aware and more loving. This sounds a lot like the Osho, um, Rajneshis, that like culty kind of language at this point. Okay. Um, And one study group was told that they could bring light into a waiting world and that lessons would still be studied in a hundred years. And then the readings change and now they're about dreams and developing intuition, the Akashic records, the astrology, past life and other esoteric subjects. And as of June of 1931, 61 people are attending meetings to carry on his work and they form a new association, the Association for Research and Enlightenment. It's still going. Interesting. Right? <laughs> Excuse me. So they develop a library of research into the phenomena and support um, sponsored study groups. And he starts doing two readings a day. So they start to publish a monthly bulletin so that they know what's going on, interesting cases, books they should review, things like that. And then they initiate a mailing list that goes to 300 people. <laughs> And like, then they have a conference and it just kind of gets to be bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, Over time, the activities are pretty similar. But um, the philosophy of the readings was that the truth is one, each organization is part of the one. And basically like the goal was not new, but ancient and universal. So anyhow, um, 
Casey attains national prominence in 1943 after the publication of a book called Miracle Man of Virginia Beach. And it, or sorry, it's not a book, it's a magazine in the cornet. World okay. War II had been taking on a huge toll on American soldiers. And he really felt like he couldn't refuse families who requested help for loved ones who were missing in action. So he increased his readings to eight a day. I can't even imagine, like, I understand when people go through hypnosis that they wake feeling very relaxed. Can you imagine after being in eight sessions, how, <laughs> like, just rested you must feel? <laughs> and See, that's my impression is like, man, he must have been super chill. It sounds like he just was laying around, like, smoking a pipe all day or something. <laughs> However... It's not the case. He does report that it's a very emotionally draining, which I could see that, and very tiring. Um, and even during the readings, they were the readings chide him for attempting too much, saying he should limit to two readings a day or it's going to be <laughs> too much for him. So even his subconscious is like, hey, man, you're, you're literally <laughs> killing yourself. Let's pull it together. Um, from June of 1943 to 1944, he did 1,400 readings. Um, and by August, he had collapsed from the strain of all this. When he did, after he collapsed from the strain of doing so many readings, he chose to do a reading on his situation. <laughs> and he basically was instructed by himself to rest or he was going to be dead. So get better or you're going to die. And his wife was like, I agree. You should do this. Listen to yourself. So they went to the Virginia mountains. Unfortunately, though, during this period of time, he had a stroke and died. He was 67 years old. His wife died three months later. This poor woman waited years to be with her husband through multiple <laughs> periods of time. And then he had the audacity to die on her. I'm glad that she just was like, uh -uh, I'm coming with you, motherfucker. We've been through too much. At any rate. Um, not all of his readings are systematically recorded or preserved, but there were probably close to 15,000 readings that he did. And 14,000 of those are available at the AR, the like, research center. Um, and you can go online and look up some of these things. Other abilities attributed to him include astral projection, prophecy, mediumship, access to Akashic records, the Book of Life, and seeing auras. So he just kind of did a little bit of everything and learned more and more as he could. He was supported by very famous people, such as Woodrow Wilson, who was one of his clients, Thomas Edison. <laughs> um, Thomas Edison was also a client, by the way. Irvin Berlin, George Gershwin... Gershwin. Yep. Yep. So lots of people really believed in what he did and really wanted to be a part of that. Yeah. Famous people love their psychics. I, you know, they do. of course they do. Especially like you want to know what the future is going to hold for you. Right. And yeah. I can understand why someone like Woodrow Wilson would want to know what his presidency held, especially during the depression or, Thomas Edison might want to know what's out there. So we know that he advocated for a lot of these pseudo-historical ideas, things like the existence of Atlantis and the theory of polygenism. Um, in many sessions, he reinterpreted the history of life on Earth. 
<laughs> Why not? One of his most controversial takes, though, is polygenism. So according to him, five races were created separately and simultaneously on different parts of the planet, which I'm sure you can understand during this period of time, the way that they, <laughs> they were, that is super not cool. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, that's, that's bad. All right. <laughs> just, just a little bit during this period of time. Um, he accepts the existence of aliens in Atlantis, saying that red, the red race developed in Atlantis um, very quickly. Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. So we do know, though, that some of his ideas about Atlantis are some of the things that are, like, ridiculous However, those are the things, of course, that were on the show that I watched that got me interested in Edgar Casey when I was like 10. Yeah. So whatever. Um, a lot of people would say his abilities were pretty fake or non-existent. Health experts are pretty critical on his treatments um, because most of them, you know, they're homeo homeopathy. Yeah. And so they're not consistent. They only work for some people. But what matters is that people felt better. And at the end of the day, really... That's what you're in it for, right? Like, yeah. it doesn't matter if it's true. What matters is people feel better. And that's what matters. He was never subjected to any, like, proper testing. So at that time, proper testing would have been an ESP pioneer uh, by the name of Joseph Ryan from Duke University. He was someone who studies the paranormal. Most likely could have been pretty sympathetic, but he was super unimpressed. He had his daughter go do to do had his daughter go get a reading from Casey and it was super inaccurate. So he was like, whatever. Um, so yeah, hmm. not he, even researchers at the time were not interested in finding out whether or not it was real. Yeah. So the reality is is that his cures were probably folk remedies that were useless at best and dangerous at worst. But once again, if people felt better, that's really what matters. <laughs> and like I said, the Association for the Research and Enlightenment is still ongoing. It still does exist, but they're widely criticized for, you know, promoting pseudoscience. Anyhow, down the rabbit hole, just, just a smidge. Yeah. Well, um, I'm going to have to look all this up and go down that rabbit hole of fun. <laughs> it's, his it readings like an entertaining time. Too. They're recorded, so you can actually hear him saying the things, oh which are fascinating. So one of the things that's interesting about him is that he did all of his readings while laying on a couch with his eyes closed, his arms across his chest, his shoes unlaced <laughs> in this trance state. Nice. Yeah. Um, in his early years, he needed a hypnotist to prime his entry to get there. His wife later does this. Um, and when he was awakened, he didn't remember anything he said in a trance. Nothing. And then he's nicknamed the sleeping prophet by a journalist. Um, he's not a prophet, though. He was more more psychic, for sure. Um, prophets generally speak for God. And he said he drew his readings not from God, but from a higher mind. So, like, <laughs> yeah. while there. He's a channeler as well. He would um, agree to that, but not a prophet. 
He correctly predicted that world financial issues were coming in 1925 and 1929, and he predicted uh, the world at war in the 1930s, but he also had plenty of bad predictions, so whatever. Yeah, but but the correct ones are the ones that everybody always wants to talk about. <laughs> right. So, yeah, no, that's cool. One final thing was that mm-hmm. he... He invented things. So like he invented that board game, but he also invented the vibrating violet ray, which I thought you would particularly enjoy. It's an electrotherapy machine. And he prescribed it in over 900 of his medical readings. I have heard of that. But then in 1930-ish, during that period of time, um, it's designated quackery and it's banned totally by the 1950s. So It's quite the name, the violet ray. There you have it, Will. Edgar Case. Nice. Yeah, no, I, I I've kind of I think I've heard of some of these things per, you know, kind of peripherally, but uh but yeah, you know, I, yeah, I, I wouldn't have known known a lot of it. So no. All right. Well now now I can go check out the the general ravings of a madman sometimes. So I'll have to go look at it. No, I might be wrong, <laughs> but if I remember right, his thing about Atlantis was that it's in Bermuda. No, the Bimini Islands. Remember when they found the road to Bimini? Yeah. That's what the Unsolved Mysteries episode started as. So I might just okay. be conflating two things. But I think that was my memory was that Atlantis was someplace weird, not in the right spot, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's interesting. <laughs> but cool. Yeah, no, I, I I did not really know of him. I mean, I'd heard that name somewhere, but like, yeah, my knowledge was basically non-existent. So, yeah, no cool topic, you know. Plenty of things for me to to check out. Uh, yeah, fourteen thousand readings uh, will get to work. Yeah, well, for those listening, you know, fall break has just started here, and I just found out I've got COVID, so I've got nothing to do for the next five days other than sit in my room and avoid people. So, uh, so yeah, uh, there are plenty of rabbit holes to go down. I'm sure <laughs> you'll be sitting in your room pretending like you don't exist, just like Harry Potter, right? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> oh man, well. Thanks everybody for listening this week. You know, thank you, Jenny, for our topic. And uh, as always, you know, rate, subscribe, review, tell your friends about our podcast, and we will see you all in a week. Bye, folks. Bye. Bye. Bye.